So let me recap where we were. Uh, so we're, we're in Joshua chapter 2. So what happened is the Israelites came out of Egypt, which is down here, and they wandered around in this wilderness. And then they came up on the east side of the Jordan River. This is the Jordan River coming down. This is the, the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of, of, of Chinnereth. And, and uh, so this is the Sea of Galilee. And then it runs down, the Jordan River runs down, and it goes into the, the it says the Salt Sea here, or the Dead Sea. And so you, you can't see this from where you are, but this is 1,300 feet below sea level. The Dead Sea is the lowest point on earth. And, uh, uh, and it has no exit. So there's only an entrance and there's no exit. And it's very high in salt concentration, so you can, you can float on there and you, you just kind of really stay up very high. But anyway... Um, where they are, there. so you have about 2 million Israelites that came in. And then you have uh, Reuben, Gad, and a half-tribe of Manasseh decide to stay on this side of the Jordan. And then the rest of the tribes, the, the rest of the, the, the uh, uh, ten tribes or, or, or nine and a half tribes are going to move on across. But the fighting men from Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh are going to continue to go across. So you've got about 1.5 million people that are going to cross this Jordan River. And this is what we're going to talk about today. So they're going to cross right about here. And you're going to see them come into this little town, Gilgal, which is right next to Jericho. So, so this bar right here is 20 miles. So this distance is, is I don't know, maybe a half a mile between Gilgal and Jericho, and they're going to come across the river here. So that that's that's where we are in this. So if you look if you look now in uh, Joshua chapter two, what I want to focus on is a portion that we had already said. So they Joshua sent two spies into the land. Those two spies end up in Jericho, and they're hidden by a prostitute na- named named Rahab, the prostitute, and and. Uh, um, she says to them in verse 8, now in verse 9, and said to the men, I know, this is Joshua chapter 2, verse 8, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came up out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, Sion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. So, what she says to them, she starts out here in verse 8, in in verse 9, and she says, I know that the Lord has given you the land. She was different than everybody else. She knew this. God had spoken to a prostitute and she knew this. So there was a curse on that land. The curse was in Deuteronomy, 6, uh, Deuteronomy 20, verse 16 and 17, which we've read before, that they were to kill everybody in that land so that they wouldn't learn the ways of those people. But she was spared out of that. She was spared out of that because she knew God singled out a particular woman. And then she said to them, because I've, I've protected you, and she says, we know. Everybody here knows. Everybody in Jericho, Jericho right here, that city that they're about to attack, everybody in Jericho has heard how you came out of Egypt, how we dried up the river when you came out. 
up to your attack on, on Sion and Og, which had just taken place on, on the east side of the Jordan. So we know everything that's happened. You say, how do they know? Well, you've got two million people wandering through the desert. Lots of people are seeing them. There's travelers going on and they see these miraculous things and how they survived 40 years in the desert wandering around. But she knows God singled her out. God has a way of doing this. God has a way of singling people out. So what I want to do is, is look at one verse on this in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9 is a beautiful verse. And it says in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that He may strongly support those whose heart is completely His. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that He may strongly support those whose heart is completely His. So He's the one who's looking. So think about this. God is looking around over all the earth. And then He says to the angels, Whoa, 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 stand back. Look at that person. Look at how their heart is completely mine. I'm going to bless that person so that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. My pastor shared with me that verse when I was about 19 or 20 years old. And I have held on to that verse. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. It's the singling out of individuals. God singles out. You say, will he be good to an individual over other individuals? Absolutely. The Bible shows that over and over again. God singles out individuals. What, on what basis does He single them out? Right here it says it. Those whose heart is completely His. When you give your heart to the Lord and desire to serve the Lord and desire to follow Him, desire to spend time in His Word, desire to spend time in prayer, desire to spend time in service to Him, He singles you out. And He strongly supports you. He blesses your career. He blesses you, you with a good spouse. He blesses your family. God has a way of doing this. God singles people out. He singled out Rahab. Of everybody that lived on that side of the Jordan, He singled out one woman, a prostitute, whose life had now been converted, whose life had now changed. And she is now going to marry into the kingdom of Israel. She's going to be the great-grandmother of King David, and she's going to be in the line of the birth of Jesus through his, his mother Mary. He's in the line through the father, through the, 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 uh, the, the father Joseph, but Joseph had no bloodline with Jesus, but he's also through the mother's line. Uh, uh, Rahab was also through the mother's line, through Mary, which had a bloodline into Jesus. And so you see that God singles out. This is something to remember. God has a way of singling out individuals that the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the entire earth to strongly support those whose heart is completely His. Okay, turn back to Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2. And as you move on down this chapter, what you see is that, and we dealt with this the last time that I spoke, is that she said, protect my family too. And so she wanted the protection upon she, she, she says in verse 13, Spare my father, my mother, my brothers, and my sisters with all who belong to them. 
So you got the father, the mother, the brothers, and the sisters. So it, it, it says uh, uh, her brothers, plural, her sisters, plural. So it's at least two brothers, at least two sisters, and, and the mother and the father, that's six, and all who belong to the brothers and the sisters. So it might have been not just two brothers, it might have been ten brothers and ten sisters, who knows. But it was a bunch of them, and then their spouses and their children. And the guys say, okay, you've protected us, we'll protect you when we come in and take over th- this land of Jericho. And so you can have a tremendous influence over the lives of your, your family members. If you will seek the Lord, you have a tremendous influence over the lives of your family members. You want the very best for your children? The way you have the very best for your children is you seek the Lord. If you seek the Lord, it brings down, calls down great blessings upon your children. Psalm 112, verse 1 and 2 talks about that. If you delight yourself in God, if you love His Word, He will make your descendants mighty on this earth, it says. That's the promise. The best thing you can do for your family is you seek the Lord. And you can start to intercede for them. In verse 16 of Joshua chapter 2, Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the wall, so that she was living, uh, so that she was living on the wall. And she said to them, Go to the hill country, so that the pursuers will not happen upon you, and hide yourselves there for three days until the pursuers return. Then after you may go your way. And the men said to her, We shall be free from this oath to which you have made us swear, unless when we come into the land... You tie this cord of scarlet thread in the window through which you let us down and gather yourself into your house, your father and your mother and your brothers and and, and your father's household. And it shall come about that anyone who goes out of the doors, out of your house, into the streets, his blood shall be on his own head and we shall be free. But anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be free from the oath which you have made us swear. She said, according to your word, so it shall be done. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and came up to the hill country and remained there for three days until the pursuers returned. Now the pursuers had sought them all along the road, but had not found them. Then the two men returned and came down from the hill country and crossed over and came to Joshua the son of Nun, and they related to him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Surely the Lord has given all the land into our hands. Moreover, all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before us. So, what's happening here is... is, um, Joshua sends, sends two spies from this east side of the Jordan River across... And he, to spy out this land. And then he said, especially Jericho. Especially Jericho. So remember, this is, this is 20 miles up here. That's 20 miles across there. So this distance from here to here is only all the way across is probably 20 miles. So he's asking them to scope out an area that's maybe only five miles. So it's not very big. I mean, Israel, this nation of Israel, this is a 20 mile across. You know, it's, it's fairly small across. Today, because you have, you, 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 you have a, a lot of this is Palestinian territory, Israel across its shortest path is only 14 miles across. Now, it's, it's quite long, but it's only 14 miles across. It's a little country. And uh, so they're going into Jericho, and there's this huge slope just on, on this south 
western side of Jericho, this huge slope of rock. And so she tells them, go up into there. Go up into there. And, and, uh, and, and you'll, be, you, you, you'll be safe there because the, the pursuers are looking for them in this region, trying to get them before they cross back over the Jordan, going back. And she sends them this way. She says, go up and stay in there. And so when Shireen and I were last in Jerusalem, we got a, a Palestinian guide because, because Israelis aren't allowed to go there. And we, we took this road that goes down to, to uh, the, the Dead Sea. You take it about that far. And then you can cross into Palestinian territory. If you're not an Israeli, you have an American passport and you're with an Israeli guide. And you cross and you go across these mountains into this area. And I remember this very well. This, this mountainside, because we got out of the car and we're standing there and watching, and the ground gave way. And I slid down away and was able to grab myself, or else it would have been a very long fall. And, and Shireen was like, anyway. So, so, um, uh, so I remember it very well. And, and it's a very steep slope. And that's the very road that Jesus spoke about when he spoke about that, that uh, a man was walking from Jericho to Jerusalem when he got robbed and he got beaten up by robbers. It's, it's not the main road that you take a highway down now. It's this winding road around this mountainside. And right here is a very big slope. And, and right from Jericho, I mean, it's probably only a few hundred yards, maybe 200 yards through this, this slope of rock, easy to hide in there. So that's where they went up into and they hid for three days. And, uh, and then they go back to Joshua. They say, everybody in that land is demoralized. They're terrified of us. And that's exactly what, jo- what Joshua wanted to hear. So let's turn to Joshua chapter 3. And Joshua chapter 3, what we're going to do is, um, uh, I'm going to read for you just a synopsis of Joshua chapter 3. And the reason I'm going to read this to you is because Jap- this going in from from the, the eastern side of the Jordan to cross the Jordan River is spread out over a few different chapters and it's not in chronological order. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read to you a little account in chronological order for what happened and then when we read it, it'll make more sense. So I'm going to read this in chronological order. Uh, um, so so uh, this way it'll help us to understand what's happening. So first of all, on the, on the day before the crossing, the people were given instructions as to the spiritual preparations in, in, in chapter 3, verse 5, and to march by keeping a distance of 2,000 cubits from the Ark of the Covenant, according to 3, verse 3 and 4. And second, on the morning of the crossing itself, they received instructions on the crossing itself, instructing the leaders on, on the orders of the day. This is in according to, uh, according to chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. Third, the march toward the Jordan River then begins in 3, verse 14. Fourth, the priests carried the ark and they, carried, uh, and, and they arrived at the edge of the river. Now, when I say ark, I don't mean like Noah's ark. The ark of the covenant was, was, uh, was a, a wooden structure that was overlaid with gold. So you had acacia wood overlaid with gold. And it was that that was then covered with, with, uh, uh, with, with the, the, these veils and these blankets, and the priests were to carry that on their shoulders. That was the actual thing that, that st- stayed in the Holy of Holies. And nobody could look at it. And it was only the high priest would see it once a year when he'd go in. Now, the priests that would service the, in the temple could see it, but they could never take it outside that tabernacle 
without it being covered. And that's what I'm saying, the ark that they had to carry. And they arrived at the edge of the river at, a, at uh, um, south of the town of Adam in verse, chapter 3, verse 16. Fifth, the river drained and the bottom of the river became dry, at which point Joshua and the twelve leaders and Israel crossed over the river quickly. Sixth, the twelve leaders each picked up a heavy stone from the riverbed where the priests were standing and, and later set them up in Gilgal. And uh, uh, seventh, Joshua set up a memorial of the twelve stones in the riverbed where the priests were then standing in chapter 4, verse 9. Then eighth, at Joshua's command, the priests bearing the ark left the spot where they were standing and crossed over to the west side of the riverbank. And at that point, the waters returned to normal. So that's the basic chronology of, 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 of what happened. So let's start reading in chapter 3, verse 1. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and he and all the sons of Israel set out from Shittim and came to the Jordan. And they lodged there before they crossed. At the end of three days, the officers went through the midst of the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord with the Levitical priests carrying it, then you shall set out from your place. However, there shall be a distance between you and, a, you and it, a distance of about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not, come near that you may know the, do not come near that you may know the way by which you shall go, for you have not passed that way before. So what he says is the priests were going to head out with the ark, and there was to be 2,000 cubits. A cubit is, is, is 1.5 feet. And so it's about a half a mile distance between the crowd of Israel and these priests carrying the ark. And one of the reasons for that is, since it's a half a mile away, then everybody, this big mass of 1.5 million Jews that's about to cross, can see it because it's way out in front. Second of all, it was to show respect. You keep a distance from it. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. So they're about to see a miracle. This consecration, this consecrating oneself, getting oneself ready for a miracle was not the first time this happened. And in fact, in Exodus chapter 19, verses 10 through 15, they consecrated themselves when God came down on Mount Sinai. They were to consecrate themselves to get ready to see a miracle. And Joshua spoke to the priests saying, take up the Ark of the Covenant in verse, in verse uh, uh, 6. Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over ahead of the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went ahead of the people. Now the Lord said to Joshua, this day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I, you... You shall, moreover, command the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Then Joshua said to the sons of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord. So, the priests were to take the Ark on their shoulders. So, they had these big poles that, that, that went on each side of the Ark, and the priests would carry this, and they were to step into the water. Now, the water at that stage was in flood stage. So normally the Jordan is about 90 to 100 feet across. So not, you know, by American standards, this is not a big, mighty river. It's nothing like the Mississippi River. So it's, it's 90 to 100 feet across, across, and it's normally 3 to 10 feet deep. That's the Jordan River. But at flood stage, because there's so much water that comes down off the mountains, that Jordan River overflows its banks. And at flood stage, it's, it's actually quite violent. 
and raging. And in fact, this is discussed, if you look in, 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 in First Chronicles, I mean, this is so much fun. You just, you just get to, to, to look at these, these, uh, um, these other passages. In First Chronicles chapter 12, First Chronicles chapter 12, it's talking about the mighty men who followed, who followed uh, David. And look what it says about the mighty men who followed David in First Chronicles chapter 12, verse 8. From the Gadites, that means from the tribe of Gad. And remember, Gad was one of the tribes that decided to stay on the east side of the Jordan River. But this is now many years later in Second Chronicles chapter 12. From the Gadites, there came over to David in the stronghold in the wilderness, mighty men of valor, men trained for war, who could handle shield and spear, whose faces were like the faces of lions, and who were swift as gazelles on the mountains. Okay, so there were a group of men that were really tough. I know, I know you think you're tough, but these guys were really tough. I mean, it says they had faces like lions, they were swift as, as gazelles, they could handle both shield and spear, very well trained. These were the Delta Forces. I mean, these guys were just trained to kill. I mean, in a second, they could just pull out your liver. I mean, they, they, could, they could do something. <laughs> and so these were tough guys. Now, look what it describes about, uh, about these guys. At the end of that paragraph, if you look in verse 15, these are the ones who crossed the Jordan in the first month when it was overflowing all its banks. And they put to flight all those in the valleys, both the east and to the west. So these mighty men... It says they were able to cross the Jordan when it was overflowing in the first month in its flood stage during the barley harvest. They were able to do this. So to be able to ford the Jordan River in flood stage, you have to be a very strong swimmer to survive when it's in flood stage. That's the stage that it's in when the Israelites are going to cross in in, in Joshua chapter 3. So we know from Scripture itself, it takes a real mighty man to be able to cross if it were in its flood stage. And so God's going to do a miracle because we got just regular people crossing with children crossing. So God's going to deal with that, that Jordan in an interesting way. So if we turn back, turn back to uh, Joshua chapter 3 and, 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 we, and we look at, at, at what's happening, is that it says, it says that um, in verse 8, of Joshua chapter 3, I'm sorry, verse 6. Joshua spoke to the priest saying, take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over ahead of the people. And, and uh, um, then he, it, it goes on down and it says, the priests, he told them to step in. He says in, in, verse, uh, in verse 8, when you come to the edge of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. So the priests are leading the way. They walk into the Jordan and they have to stand still and the water just stops and starts to pool up toward Adam, and we'll talk more about that, how it did that, and has it ever done that sort of thing before, and the water drained below them. But what I want to key in on here is that who had to go into the water first? It was the leaders. It was the priests had to step into the water. And it wasn't like they could, you know, easily swim. They were carrying that ark on their shoulders, so they didn't have the, that, that uh, uh, free hands to dog paddle in the water or anything. They had to step in the water, and it didn't start backing up until they stepped into the water. If we think that God's going to just plow everything away in our lives so that we just got easy walking all through our lives, that's not how life is. Life is difficult. And it's when we step into the water that things start to happen. He gave them the leadership. 
Leaders have to step in. And when I was preparing this, I was thinking of Crystal. I was thinking of just, you know, what she had to step into. To be able to do that, to be a student leader in a place like Vietnam and all of a sudden get surprised with that, that it's just going to fall on you. And to be able to, to have to do that, it is a big thing. But this is Christian life. This is what Christian life is all about. Christian life is if you want to be a leader, leadership goes first. Leadership steps in when no, before anyone else has stepped in. This is what leaders do. Leaders are the ones who prepare the Bible studies when nobody else is even reading ahead. Leaders are the ones who spend time in prayer, praying for the Bible studies when no one else is praying. Leaders are the ones who stay late and clean up when everybody else has decided to leave. This is what leaders do. Leaders do the dirty work. And if you're not prepared to do that, you'll never be a leader. But this is the demonstration that we have. I want to turn to uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And we're going to start reading at verse 23. Now this is Paul. Paul was, was indeed one of the leaders in the church, clearly among the Gentiles. He was the, the leader. He himself was a Jew that was called to minister to the Gentiles. Now, Paul is recounting because some people were trying to say that he was not a true leader. So, Paul is giving the marks of leadership. Here are the marks of leadership. And, and you, you know, it's things like this that I read about the apostles so that when people introduce themselves to me as apostles, they say, I'm apostle so-and-so. I'm thinking, do you know what you're calling down on yourself to be an apostle? Anyway, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane, I more so. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten ten times without number, often in danger of death. So he says, I, I don't even, I, can't, I haven't even counted the times that I've been in deep labor for the sake of others. In far more imprisonments. He couldn't even count, he couldn't number the times that he'd been thrown in prison because he was a leader of the church. Beaten times without number. I can't remember how many times I've even been beaten. Let me tell you how many times Jim Tour has been beaten for the case of the gospel. Zero. It's very easy for me to remember. I remember one guy said he was going to punch me in the face and he never did. And, and, and because the Bible says you haven't yet suffered to the point of shedding blood for the sake of the gospel. And that's me. Never shed blood for the sake of the gospel. Nobody's ever even hit me. And, and so what happens is if somebody makes fun of our Christian t-shirt, we're all offended. Oh, you don't know the suffering I went through. They made fun of my t-shirt. I mean, that, that's, not, that's not suffering. Not in any biblical context is that suffering. If you haven't shed blood, the Bible says you've not even, you've not even gotten into kindergarten yet. Paul says, says that, that I can't even remember how many times I've been beaten. Often in danger of death. How many? How often have I been in danger of death? I mean, never. Maybe when I almost slid off the side of that mountain, but it wasn't for the cause of the gospel. I was just taking a tour of the facility. All right. Then he says, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. So the Jews would only, when they would beat somebody, because the, the, the law, 
the law of Moses said you couldn't beat somebody more than 40 lashes because they wanted to make sure they never exceeded 40. If they kind of lost count, they would stop at 39. This is not what Jesus went through when he underwent the scourge before the cross. That was the Roman scourge. There was no limit on the number of times they could beat you then. But Paul, five times he had received this 39 lashes beating from the Jews. Five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. One time I was stoned, and that's referenced in the book of Acts, his stoning, where they beat him, they threw stones on him until they thought he was dead. Three times I was shipwrecked. Lord, isn't one shipwreck enough? (laughs) Come on, a third time? I mean, who wants to get on a ship with Paul? (laughs) Three times he was shipwrecked. Uh, A night and a day I spent in the deep. I was just in Nice, France, and I was... My, my room was right there over the Mediterranean. And as I looked at that, I was thinking, Paul spent a night and a day, he spent in the middle of the Mediterranean floating around on a piece of wood. I mean, isn't three shipwrecks enough? But one, one of those shipwrecks, he spent an entire night and day before he was recovered. Uh, um, he says, I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, Dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I had been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? So he says in all of this, this is the suffering that the apostle goes through. This is the suffering of leadership. You want to be a leader? This is the mark of leadership. And in addition to all the external things that a leader needs to be prepared to go through, you have the concern of all the other brethren. You have concern for your little Bible study group. You have concern for the people who are struggling. So that when someone's falling into sin, it deeply concerns you. Who struggles without my knowing it, Paul says. I have concern for all the churches. I mean, we, we're concerned for our little Bible study group. Paul had all the churches were his concern. Because they all looked to him. I have concern for all the churches. He says, who is led into sin without my deep concern? This is the mark of leadership. Leadership steps into the Jordan first. Leadership goes first. Leadership cleans up first. Leadership leads the way. Leadership goes and leads the way. This is the mark of leadership. Leadership prepares for Bible studies when no one's even reading ahead. Leadership does this type of thing. This is the mark of leadership. And as you step in to leadership and you are faithful in it, God will be faithful with you in return and He will bring you into greater portions of leadership. If you prove yourself faithful, Jesus said, to whom much is given, much is expected. If He gives you much and you walk in it, He will give you more. He will give you more. What He said to Joshua is, I am going to now exalt you in the sight of all Israel. You want to be brought up in your career? Learn to be a leader. Learn to walk in a way that leads. Leadership is service. That is the mark of leadership. Jesus said the Gentiles among you, they try to be leader over everybody. He says this is the mark of leadership. Whoever wants to be great among you shall be a servant. Whoever wants to be greatest among you shall be a slave of the other. The mark of Christian leadership is service. That's the mark of Christian leadership. It is service. 
You want to be brought up in God's kingdom? It is service. It is you that needs to step into the Jordan first. It is you that when it's difficult, you step in first. That is the mark of leadership. And God starts with little things. Little things in your life. And He says, I'm going to show you this miracle, He tells the children of Israel, because you are about to fight many battles to take this land. And I'm going to show you. And He gives us little indications of His grace along the way to prepare us for a lifetime of service. Let's pray. Abba Father, thank You so much for Your Word, for the truth of Your Word. And I pray, Lord, for the students here, that in the name of Jesus, that You would so work in their lives, that they would rise up and become the leaders that You want them to be. And they, they would understand that leadership goes first. Leadership goes first in serving. Leadership goes first into the areas of danger. Father, I pray that You would so work in their lives and that You would give, bring them into places of leadership and that they would remember this, that they would prepare for the Bible studies that You have for them, prepare for the works of service, that they would learn to pray, that they would learn to intercede for the tasks that You have before them when no one else is interceding, that these here would learn to intercede. Father, I pray that You give them hearts of a leader, that they would learn the work of service. Father, I pray for Your grace to abound, the grace of Jesus upon their lives. For the glory of God, I pray. Amen.